Today I'll be reading from Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in to be with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. I realize you're far from me. I'm going to come closer to you. All right, better. Um, my name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you are here with this morning. We continue our sermon, uh, summer sermon series titled The Summer of Parables. And today we're in Matthew chapter 25, looking at the parable of the ten bridesmaids, or some of your translations, I know it says 10 virgins, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Church, I have a confession to make. I have a problem with waiting. I have a problem with waiting. Just the other day, we were running errands, and we wanted some Chick-fil-A. As I turned into the drive through lane, I was faced with a conundrum. Which line will move faster <laughs> of the two? And if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, you may have experienced this challenge as well. There's always two lines. And normally, if it works according to the plan, it goes equal speed because one side gets the chance, the other gets the chance, and one car goes in front of the other. It should work like that, but you all know that that's not how it always works. One line will move faster because either the person taking the order is more efficient or has been working there for a longer time or do not want to do a small talk, I just want to get you by. Or the person ordering has a smaller order rather than a large order. And of course, I picked the wrong one. This time, I waited behind this large SUV. The rule of the game is to never ever choose a line that has large SUVs because you don't know how many people are in their car. And I think there were at least 10 passengers in their car. And my worst nightmare came true. At least three cars on my right passed me by as I was waiting for this order to go by, and I had to wait forever for this car to order, not to mention the person was having a great time talking about the weather. Being frustrated was an understatement of mine as I waited in this line. I have a problem with waiting. Do you have a problem with waiting? And if so, perhaps you may sympathize with the weight of the bridesmaids in this story. It's a story of a bridesmaids who have to wait for the bridegroom to come. And they do not know when he's coming, the parable tells us. So they wait and they even fall asleep because of that. 
And for someone like me who has a problem with waiting, this is a hard parable for me to digest. Not only are you supposed to wait, but it, you have to wait well, it says. Not only have to wait for it, but wait well, be prepared for the bridegroom to come. Instead of the joy I'm supposed to experience, sometimes this is my worst nightmare, not knowing when it's going to happen. Do you struggle with the same church? Perhaps you're like me in that you just have a hard time waiting, period. But some of you, you may be waiting and waiting, holding on to a promise, and you are tired of waiting. Perhaps you have seen injustice in your life, in this nation, in your own life for so long, and you're just tired of waiting. Perhaps you have suffered both physically, emotionally, and you want the suffering to end and you're still waiting for that to happen. Perhaps some of us were waiting for a child to be born, for a spouse, for a breakthrough in your career, and you have to wait. Perhaps for many of us, we're waiting for the next pastor. I am with you, but we're waiting yet for another season. Perhaps we are waiting. A lot of it is waiting in this season. And waiting is not the easiest for us, and today's parable speaks of another wait. But in this waiting for the bridegroom, not only we find the grace of God in it, we also find the wonder, wonder of waiting for the right bridegroom, right bridegroom to come. So how do we get there? Let's unpack this parable, shall we? Both the grace and the wonder of waiting for the bridegroom, the both grace and the wonder of waiting for the bridegroom. First thing we see is grace of God in waiting. I know I was talking to one parent out in the play area today, and we said the school year is finally here, coming up soon. Um, in a couple of weeks, there will be an open house and all this stuff. I know we had a move-up Sunday today. Uh, one of the fond memories when I think about school, um, I think are often made during school dances. We think about homecoming when the school begins. We think about the proms, the class dances. And one dance I particularly remember, perhaps because it was the only dance that I was able to go uh, back in the day, it was called the turnabout. As the name suggests, perhaps it was the only dance uh, where back in the days where the girls asked, asked the guys, not the other way around. And if you don't believe in miracles, let me tell you that I'm a living proof of that, that I got asked. I know. Do you believe in God can do anything? I, I believe. I know I made you a believer today. And I believe God could do anything. And no matter, even if my friend who asked was on a rebound after he just broke up with a boyfriend, didn't matter because I got asked, right? And the, the joy and the excitement of being asked to get ready for this dance was the highlight of my freshman year in high school. Well, when we come to the parable today, we see the bridesmaids needing to wait, but we must not forget the fact that there is grace element in this. Chapter 25 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to, the bride, went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. Basically, think of it as batteries, right? They didn't have extra batteries. Uh, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra olive oil for their lamp. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. The parable speaks of the wedding 
And in order for us to fully understand what this is all about, and you're probably wondering, like, why do they need a lamb with extra olive oil? We need a bit of a background understanding of the wedding festivities of the ancient Near Eastern time, ancient Palestine wedding customs to know why this is so important. Unlike today's wedding where you and I are quite familiar with, where we have set time, wedding festivities in Jesus' time would last all day, basically. You have to take out all day to go. After the dancing in the early parts of the day, vows that are exchanged, the groom would take the bride from her house to his at night for the formal ceremony and the final feast to happen. The journey to the groom's house featured a torchlight procession, and often the parties involved had to wait for the bridegroom to come because timing was unclear due to all the festivities that were happening at the day. It's not like they had a wedding planner that was pushing people along and saying, okay, now it's your turn. Let's go, let's go. They didn't have something like that. So waiting for this procession was quite a normal part of the day. This was the custom of the time. So when the parable tells us that there were five unwise bridesmaids who didn't bring enough oil, uh, backup oil, and that they run out, and then parable also tells us there were five wise bridesmaids who prepared an extra oil, knowing that it may take a long time. If it's not obvious to the listeners at this point, even to us, the bridegroom represents Jesus, the king that's coming. And the bridesmaids represents those who are invited to the wedding by his invitation. And main point of the parable is be prepared and wait patiently for the Lord with the wisdom that comes from above. And be like the wise bridesmaids. The parable highlights Jesus speaking about the coming of the kingdom of God and heaven as we commonly refer to. And when Jesus returns, he's asking, are you prepared to receive him, the king, more clear way to say, do you know your king enough to be prepared to receive him? And the question is, where is grace in all this? Where is grace in all this? The grace in all this is this. Both the wise bridegroom and the foolish bridegrooms hear the invitation. And both are asked to wait for the Lord with the torch and the oil. Did you catch that? Don't miss that point, because that's grace. The message of salvation, the hope of God's grace, is presented to both the foolish and the wise. The distinction of the foolishness and wisdom doesn't come from where the person is from, or what they know, or who they know, or how much they know. It's purely based upon you heard the invitation from the bridegroom that is coming and the distinction of foolishness and wisdom is purely based upon are you waiting with right amount of oil or are you not waiting with any extra oil? The foolishness of the wisdom is purely based upon how you respond to God's call and how you prepare your heart in the process. And that's the grace of God, church. In some other translations, ten bridesmaids are translated as virgins, ten virgins. Well, the context and the original language doesn't focus on the lack of sexual experience of the virgins here, but rather in relationship with the bridegroom. That's why the New Living Translation chooses um, the term bridesmaid to talk about the proximity to the bridegroom. So I believe that captures the grace of it. These bridesmaids are personally and intimately invited by the bridegroom 
And that's the grace. So that's why the listeners of this parable, when they hear these bridesmaids were not ready, that should shock you more than the harsh response of the bridegroom. Because the invitation, the intimacy, the proximity to the bridegroom is what's highlighted in this parable. You know, that means, church, this morning you are yet again here hearing God's command and God's call in your life. You hear the promise that he, in fact, is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he is the king, he created you, but what separates you and I are sin. But the grace of God, as God commands us to listen to it again and again, and every Sunday, at every moment you pray to him, is that he sends his son to die for you on the cross so that the bridegroom who is to give his life will save you, to redeem you, so you can be who you're meant to be. And guess what the grace is? That this bridegroom is coming back. And are you waiting with expectancy? Are you waiting in light of the grace of the Lord? Are you waiting in the hope the king of the universe is going to come back? And that's the grace that we have in waiting. It's not merely just wait for the sake of waiting Jesus tells us there's more to your life than just living only once, as YOLO, as they say, right? There's more to life than today's pleasures or endless desires we often pursue without an end. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only addresses sin in your life and invites you to the banquet, but his presence, the grace of God, reminds you that you have a purpose as you wait for the coming of the king. Each person intimately known and invited, created in God's image, given with God-sized vision so that you could fit into God's kingdom work here on earth as you long for the kingdom to come. You and I are living in this time between Jesus' first coming and second coming with the promise of return. Grace is that you are called to live with that call. And the grace is that you have the call of the one who began a good work in your life, he will carry it on to completion. That means in your workplaces, in your families, in your schools, God is calling you with a purpose and the reason for being. It's not merely to pad your 401k. It's not merely to have more influence to get that A+, plus you could get into a school that you want to. It is that you have a purpose of living out God's will in your life as you wait patiently for God's kingdom to come. Oh, Church of Christ, do you have that heart this morning as you wait for the Lord to come? Do you walk into Sunday morning realizing that God is going to come back soon and you live in light of that truth and you are ready, waiting, saying, come, oh Lord, come. And that's the hope that we could have and that grace enables you to persevere and wait until he returns. And that's the grace we find in this parable. But not only we find grace in waiting in this parable, but second uh, grace is we find the wonder, wonder that God gives to us as we wait for the return of the king. Again, if you do not believe in miracles, talk to me about it, because I'll tell you my life is a miracle in many ways. Um, And my grandmother and mother will say the same thing. My parents will surely believe that. If they did not believe it, they believed it. When after years, years of waiting and wondering if this boy will ever really be able to bring someone home, he finally did that one fateful Sunday. And the look on my grandmother's face, 
and she held on to Lin's hand the whole time. I don't know if she realized that she was not letting go, realizing that perhaps this can happen in this lifetime was a pure joy in her life. And the wonder and the look of unbelief on my parents' face as they muttered the words, thank you for your sacrifice. (laughs) To my future wife was finally here. It was a miraculous day in the Kim household. And you, if you don't believe it, God's grace says he could do it. Well, miracles do happen, don't they? And God's grace says he's coming back. He will surely return. And that's the greatest wonder we could have as we wait for the coming king. Verse 6 says, At midnight they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And the five foolish ones asked the other, please give us some of your oil because your lamps are go- our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Church, this parable reminds us that not only there is grace in waiting, but there is also wonder as you wait. Notice in this parable again, the parameters of the foolish and the wise were the same. Both the foolish and the wise, they had to wait for the bridegrooms to come. They also experienced same length of the time, same trials of waiting, but one factor that separates the two is, again, the one that's waiting for the bridegroom was expecting it and had the oil, and the other did not, and they were called foolish. And don't get lost in the foolish ones asking for oil and the wise ones saying no. That's not the main point of the parable. The main point of Jesus is making is why were the wise prepared with extra olive oil while the foolish ones were not. And I believe here were the true bridesmaids who are expectantly waiting for the bridegroom differ from the foolish and the false one is the fact that they are lost in wonder and they want the bridegroom to return. And what causes the laziness and complacency of the foolish ones is they forget. They forget who they were waiting for and what they were waiting for. Again, the custom of the time, if you knew the time, you knew the time was unknown. And the wise, they remember who they were waiting for. The joy of being with the bridegroom, the one that knows them intimately, the one that invites them personally, and that's what separates those who know Christ deeply and those who do not, those who want to be with Christ and those who just merely want the benefits of knowing Christ. And that's what separates, again, knowing him, being in relationship with him, and being known by him versus only seeing the benefits and not really knowing who Christ is. If that is not clear for us, Jesus ends the parable by saying this. But when they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him, the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, and this is the main point of the parable. Notice what it says. It's not saying, where were the oil? Why did you do this? The answer that he gives him is, believe me, I don't know you. I don't know you. And Jesus says, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. It comes down to, at the end of the day, knowing him, but also being known by him. 
And I call this, do you have that wonder of waiting for the king? Those who wait expectantly are lost in the wonder of knowing God and being known by him. Speak to anyone who loves Jesus deeply. What do they often say? They often say, how could Jesus forgive someone like me? How can Jesus love someone like me? That's grace, and they're often lost in wonder, and they overflow with love and forgiveness and love because they experience that. That's what the Scripture tells us, doesn't it? That's the wonder of knowing this bridegroom, this king, this savior, knowing that this king is so worth everything else you're known for. And this is all the parables were all about, wasn't it? I love him. I want this so much. Everything else is rubbish compared to this. If you truly know him, you know the wonder of waiting for the king that will satisfy, fulfill all the heart desires of your life. And the gatherings we have like this on Sunday, O Christ Central Church, if we're doing this right on every Sunday, we gather to share stories of grace. That's basically what it is. It's not a concert where you come and raise your hand and say, that's awesome. This is gathering of saints to share fellow stories of grace, sharing with one another about how God has shown up in your brokenness, in our messiness, in our sin and suffering. Even through the valleys and challenges, we wonder at God's grace and share about it and say, though I fall short of God's grace, what wonder is it that he still loves me? Though I feel unsatisfied in my life longing at times, what wonder is that he's ever so patient walking with me? And that's the hope that he gives us as we wait for, we long for deliverance together. We await the coming king, and that's the wonder of waiting for the king. And that's not only for the older who have more experienced life. That's also for the younger children, teenagers, all of us on a different spectrum, parts of journey in our waiting for the king, often being in awe and wonder and knowing this king that knows us personally and intimately, and each day is a step closer in knowing and seeing, waiting for the king to come. So this wonder of knowing who we are waiting for is so worth it, gives us hope as we wait. Hope that he will return. And that's the hope that you must hold on to. There's no other hope. If you're just merely hoping for circumstances to get better, you will not at times. If you're merely wanting your bank account to grow and your health to get better, you're banking on foolishness. What we must bank on as we wait is the hope. Hope that he is coming back. Hope that he has a purpose in my life even through the sufferings. And this hope allows you to return to your schools this week and the coming month, to your jobs, to your cubicles, to your homes, to the dirty diaper, to that work trip, to that airport lounge again and again. Even as we head towards a season of difficulty, hardship, trials, the valleys of the shadow of death, you and I have hope and wonder because we are waiting for our king. And this wonder and amazement of being known by our king helps us to persevere in our suffering because we get to know who our king is. And that's what his followers told us, didn't they? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. He just lost that wonder, even in the jail, saying, I want to know Christ, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Do you know that's in the Bible? Sharing in his death 
so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul, the apostle, reminding us of the hope and the wonder he has as he waits for the king. Peter, the apostle, says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. You know that's in the Bible? As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for this trial is making you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have wonderful joy, wonder, seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Sounds like people that have seen Christ and says there's nothing better than knowing him. Not only knowing him, but grace is this church. This is the grace of God. Not only you get to know him, but Jesus says he knows you too. He reminds us in John chapter 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they, they know me. Throughout the scripture again and again, God reminds us, Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in your new womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. Psalm 139, you saw my eyes, my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, again, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise. You discern my going. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that fully well. You know what, church? Not only those who are lost in wonder wait for our Savior expectantly with the joy and the wisdom. You know what parable reminds us of? The king, our Savior, is also expectantly wanting to return. He's waiting to come back. It's not like, oh, man, it's like time to go. Ah. I got to show up because they're waiting, right, dragging my feet along. No, he's coming with joy. He's waiting to come back to join his party. The bridegroom, the king, is waiting to return to his people. Do we know how we know that? Not only in this parable, but three different times he says in book of Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, last chapter, he says in verse 3, Look, look, church, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. Later on, it's as if you forget, in verse 12, he says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give you each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, first and the last, beginning and the end. In verse 20, he says, he testifies to this thing, says, Yes, I am coming soon. Oh, church, do not lose the wonder of our King that are so eagerly waiting to return. The king that wants to be with you. So as we wait in grace and our wonder, in expectancy of deliverance, justice, and hope, not only in your personal lives, but in the lives of God's people. In the season of transition that we're in, waiting for the next pastor, God will continue on his mission. God will carry on his plan of redemption, not only in your life, but in our church's life, in the world as we know it. Oh, people of God, will you wait expectantly for the coming king? You know, finally, my turn came at the line of Chick-fil-A. I was so frustrated the whole time. And my wife wisely looked at me and said, do you have somewhere to be? I said, no, I have nowhere to be. I can't get out anyways. 
And ultimately, she said, do you want something else? And I said, no, I want this waffle fries today. <laughs> and man, it was so good. It satisfied my longing, my waiting, my hope, and my joy. Whether it was three cars later or not, when I had that waffle fries, the joy was complete. <laughs> oh, Church of Christ, waffle fries is nothing compared to Jesus who is returning. He often spoke of the urgency of coming king. I think Christians in America often live so lax, not thinking about the coming king. You know what's a proper response? Again, Revelation 22 tells us, doesn't he? When he says, yes, I'm coming tuned, in response, the church ought to say, Maranatha, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May that be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? In your suffering, in your brokenness, in the puddles of tears, in your unsatisfied heart at times, longing, pray this prayer, will you? A simple prayer that says, Maranatha, come, O Lord, come and remind me of the grace and the wonder of what it means to know you and being known by you. At this time, I'm going to ask our leaders to go to the uh, red chairs. If you need the help with their prayer, go to them. And you could just verbally say, can you pray this prayer for me? I need this. Just simply, Lord Jesus, to come. Help me. So please do go. I will share with you. I picture a vision of church where the lines go out the door in our red chairs. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer as we come to the Lord's table, as we think about what it means to be in a relationship with you, to be known and to know you as we wait for the coming king. Teach us, Lord, with the heart that is expecting the king to come, the heart that is longing for king to come, may we cry out into the, um, the response to your grace. Maranatha, amen. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.